You'll notice uh, all the greenery and everything has disappeared from the church. There are a few stray poinsettias if you would like to take one home with you. But we sort of uh, flip the switch, really, don't we, from our holiday celebrations of Christmas and Epiphany uh, and make a, a real change, a real 180, it seems, in our uh, scriptural readings. And this was not lost on uh, the preschoolers this week. As we returned to school and back to our chapel time, you know, in the previous weeks we had been uh, reading and learning about Mary and Joseph and the baby and Bethlehem and the animals and the shepherds and the wise men and all that. And then last week, I told them a story about how Jesus healed a sick man. And one little boy looked very perplexed, and he raised his hand and asked, what happened to baby Jesus? I said, well, that's a good question, because it's, it is sort of a jump. Um, and I, I explained to him that in the scriptures, there's really not much uh, material about the childhood or youth of Jesus, beside the story of the flight into Egypt, the presentation at the temple, and, of course, his uh, teaching in the temple when he was just a boy. But I told him, other than that, we are left to our imaginations. And, of course, uh, the, we, we don't like to try to guess so much these days, but the medieval imagination had no problem with that. And there are many different apocryphal stories about the childhood of Jesus and how he was quite literally a holy terror and would play tricks on his friends like pushing them off buildings and killing them, making their parents lose their minds and then bringing them back to life. Ha ha, wasn't that funny? So probably it was a good thing that those types of stories didn't make it into uh, Holy Scripture. Instead, we have the story of the birth and the uh, epiphany or the uh, manifestation of Jesus as a young child, and then we leap into his ministry, which begins with baptism. And we know that after he was baptized, he was driven into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And we know also that uh, we have an especially long epiphany season this year, but as soon as that is done, we too will join Jesus in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights for our Lenten observance. But today we focus on baptism because uh, baptism really is the foundational sacrament of the Christian faith. Yes, of course, we also have the Holy Eucharist, which is uh, of vital importance to us, but the gateway to all that is through the font, which is typically why you'll see baptismal fonts at the entrance to the church, because even if you have been baptized long ago, to get to the altar, you must pass by the font and thereby be reminded of your own baptism. And so Jesus comes to the wilderness to his cousin John, who has been baptizing for some time. So Jesus didn't create baptism. Um, It's sort of a a thing that John was doing, and many people were coming to be baptized. John got a lot of attention, some positive, some negative, for doing this. Um, The scribes and the elders were asking him, who are you to forgive sins? But when Jesus comes... John, of course, initially is reticent. He doesn't want to be the one to baptize Jesus. He said, you should baptize me. But Jesus insists, 
And of course, we know the story we heard today that as he was praying after being baptized, the Holy Spirit appeared in the form of a dove and the voice of God was heard to say, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus gives us this example of baptism and not only that, the great commission to go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what does baptism mean to us? What does it do? It is at its most elemental, I suppose, a rite of initiation. Now, lots of religions have rites of initiation of varying different kinds. And baptism has its antecedent in a uh, ritual performed in the Jewish faith of uh, bathing before offering sacrifices to God. The difference, of course, is that the ritual bath happens over and over again in one's lifetime, whereas baptism is once and for all. Now, I have heard examples where people have gone to, uh, converted to different faiths or different parts of the Christian faith, and the places where they went didn't recognize their previous baptism, and so they made them get rebaptized. But for us Anglicans, for those of us in this sort of corner of Christianity, as long as you have been baptized in the name of the Holy Trinity, either through immersion or with sprinkling of water, you are considered baptized, no matter who did it or where. In fact, baptism can be performed by any Christian. If you are in a situation, and uh, God forbid, where you find someone who perhaps has been in an accident or uh, is terribly sick and has not been baptized, you can baptize them. You need only to have some water and to sprinkle it on the person and to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and say the Lord's Prayer together and it is done. Now, if the person recovers, it's preferable for them to come back to the church and participate in a more liturgical expression of their baptism, not to be rebaptized by any stretch of the imagination. But you can see, because anybody can do it, it is of utmost importance. As I said, it is foundational. So I grew up in the evangelical tradition. Um, in the 1970s, there was a great wave of that, and my parents were part of that. We went from our sort of uh, buttoned-up Baptist church to a much more, uh, I would say raucous, but... Uh, much more rockin' and rollin' uh, Pentecostal tradition with uh, drums and tambourines and speaking in tongues and the whole bit. Now, in that tradition, uh, children are baptized later in life or adults. And I remember my own baptism uh, being dunked by the pastor. And the difference, though, I think, in that tradition and the, this tradition is that in the evangelical tradition, it's very much an individualistic type of faith. We talk about my walk with Jesus, my personal Savior, Jesus. And from my personal experience, here we go, being uh, individualistic, from my experience, uh, the act of baptism was sort of a, it was a requirement to be a Christian, certainly, but it was kind of a one-and-done thing. Um, there was a, a, a nice service with singing and, and preaching, and the pastor would dunk you, and you're done. 
There wasn't a lot that went into the, the ceremony of baptizing, because, of course, ceremony is largely rejected in that tradition. But ceremony is good, not just for its own sake, but because it reminds us and binds us together. It reminds us of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and it binds us together. So in our Episcopal tradition, we have the beautiful baptismal covenant. And that baptismal covenant, which we all say together every single time, applies not only to the person being baptized or persons, but to all of us together in the congregation. And with the uh, coming of the 1979 prayer book, baptism comes front and center as a sacrament. And it is strongly preferred that the baptism take place in the context of the Sunday worship so that the whole gathered community can be a part of it and promise along with the parents and godparents as a community that they will also be there to support and to help the person who's being baptized grow in their faith in Christ. And so we say this baptismal covenant, which has really two parts to it. The first part is a form of the Nicene Creed, which we say every Sunday, which outlines our beliefs. In this case, it's in sort of a question and answer format. The second part of the baptismal covenant has to do with relationships, relationships with God and relationships with one another. We promise to continue in the apostles' teaching and in the prayers. We promise to continue to break bread with one another. We promise that whenever we sin, we repent and return to God. We promise to uh, respect the dignity of every human being, all with God's help. And so you can see that our baptismal covenant really, it mirrors the Ten Commandments, which were one of the original covenants, right? So you have the first half of the Ten Commandments are how we relate to God. The second half of the Ten Commandments are how we relate to one another. So, and the word covenant in baptismal covenant is not used lightly. It's just like these covenants that God made with Mankind over the centuries. His ultimate covenant being the sending of his son, who says in the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant. So in this sacrament of baptism in which we participate with our Lord, we are, like him, taken down to the waters of death and we rise to the new life. We are brought into his holy family. We are made co-heirs with him of eternal life. And through the waters of baptism, we, like he, are able to cry out to God the Father, Abba, Father. And so when we baptize, we not only have the, the, the water portion and we not only have that symbolism of death and resurrection. But like Jesus' baptism, we also have a strong role to play for the Holy Spirit. And though the dove doesn't descend and we don't hear the voice of God from heaven, one of the things that we do after the child is baptized or adult, the priest takes his or her thumb and dips it in the holy oil and marks a cross on the forehead, person's forehead and says, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. A simple sentence, but those are really powerful words, and 
doesn't matter how many baptisms I've done or how many I will ever do in my time as a priest. Every time I say those words, I get a lump in my throat because it's such a powerful, humbling moment to know that through no merit of my own or our own, we as a community are making a new Christian. We as a community are having an imprint on this person's immortal soul. It's really, really a powerful thing to participate in. And so we give thanks this day for this gift that Jesus has given us of the example of baptism, of the gift of regeneration, of the forgiveness of sins, and of eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.